Book of Job chapter 42. I am so bittersweet because I have really enjoyed the book of Job. Man, I hate for this to be over and today's the final sermon. I talked to a guy uh, recently who I, I told him I was preaching on Job. He says, I hate that book. He said, what a he said, that's the most depressing book I've ever read. Church, if the book of Job is depressing to you, it's because you haven't yet read it with the Holy Spirit's help. So today, may the Holy Spirit open our eyes and give it to us with Jesus. Job chapter 42, starting in verse 1. We're going to cover the whole chapter, but I'm going to hit the first six verses right now. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Some people point out, by the way, the, the uh, speech that Elihu gives, the, the, the fourth member that never really gets rebuked or addressed by God, that he very potentially, I believe, was speaking truthful things, and, and they were all true. God never rebukes him, and yet it doesn't seem to sink in, and then God comes and says things that are very much backing those things up, and it's like, you know, you can hear about God. That's not the same thing as hearing from God yourself. And my prayer even today is going to be that you're going to hear from God yourself. I'm going to speak, but, but that God would do a miracle and that he would work something in us where this happens in verse 6. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. I want to talk today about this question. Is there purpose in the pain? Is there purpose in the pain. We read right there in verse 2, I know that you can do all things that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Is there purpose in the pain? And spoiler alert, there's very good news to answer this question. Lord, help in Jesus' name. Amen. Give someone a high five, have a seat. Welcome to Greenhouse. What was the worst day you ever had? What was your worst day? The Job, this guy Job could tell you about his worst day. You may remember if you've been with us for the whole series, and if you haven't been, I'll give you a recap right now. In one day, Job loses his business, his possessions, his savings, his reputation. On another day, he ends up losing his health, and he's covered from toe to head in boils. He's gone from being the most esteemed man probably in the world, but certainly in his region of the world, to he's now become a byword of what it means to be cursed and nothing. And he's in utter pain, and for many chapters, he, with some friends of his, are debating the, the meaning of life and the meaning of pain, and what do you make of of all the suffering that he's enduring. And there's just this, this great sentiment of his, what is the point of this pain? And he says he's innocent, his friends say he must be guilty, and there's nothing quite like someone loading it on you when you're suffering. But here's where I want to go today, because when you're in pain, when I'm in pain, 
and especially when my pain seems pointless. So let's get clear. Morning sickness is a bummer, but you know a baby is coming. Pain the day after working out at the gym may be a little painful, but you know the strength is coming. But when the pain seems pointless, it makes it so hard to endure. And when my pain is pointless, I'm prone to quit because as Proverbs would say, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And when your hope becomes further deferred and you don't know if it's ever going to get better, it makes the heart sick and you get so tempted to quit. And if there's anything this pandemic has taught us, it is that we, at least Westerners, we do not suffer very well. We get exhausted and we get tired and we get irritated and we get done and we're done to that and we're done to that and we're dead to them and we're dead to them and I'm dead to that and I'm dead to that and we quit quietly and we quit loudly, but we quit. This is the generation that has has become, we quit marriages and we quit children and we quit parents and we quit churches and we quit jobs. We quit. This is, the, this is the generation that has more affirmed your quitting than ever before. Never before has there been such a culture of quitting. Because we hate pain and when we suffer, we are most prone to give up hope. When we suffer, we're most prone to give in to temptation and to say, you know what, I deserve a little porn sesh. I deserve a little pleasure sesh. I deserve a little something, something over here, or a little something, something over there. And we give in to temptation. We give up our hope. We give away our destinies. And today, I'm going to bring a message What is going to say to you, Job, do not give up. I know it's been a little while since someone said that. And it almost feels like some people feel that they feel triggered when someone says it. I'm going to say it. Do not give up. Don't. There's marriages that are like, mm, I'm going to say, don't, don't give up. Some of you on your kids, you're like, I'm just, I mean, I'm ready to peace out on my kids. I'm ready to peace out on this degree. I'm ready to peace out on this. And you fill in the blank. And I'm not saying there are not times of transition. Obviously, there are. There are changes of seasons. What I'm talking about is we're in a generation that we have not transitioned because God said it was time. We've transitioned because our souls and flesh said, I cannot tolerate the pain anymore. I will self-medicate with some social media. I will self-medicate with some prescription opioids. I will self-medicate with a, with a Netflix marathon because pain seems intolerable. And I just want to say, do not give up, Job. Today's message, you could say, is really uh, based on James 5, 11. We've read this a couple of times, but it says, As you know, we count as blessed those who have, and here's the word, persevered or endured or held fast or held tight. You have heard of Job's, and here's the interesting thing. When the New Testament gives a commentary in the book of Job, it sums up the man Job in one word, which I'm bringing to you now. One word, which I'm daring you to embrace. One word, which I'm begging us to say, that is what I want. You have heard of Job's, what's the next word? Perseverance, endurance. When Job, it's interesting because when you hear people describe Job, they say, well, Job is all about suffering. No, Job is all about persevering. 
And when you think the book of Job is suffering, of course you will ignore the book. But when you know that Job lived two to 250 years and he has a, a nine-month stint of this suffering and, and he perseveres and what he is known for is his perseverance. And as we're going to read in other parts of Scripture, when Jesus would say, those who persevere till the end, those who endure till the end will be saved. Or in James chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, and watch because this is the message of Job. The, the, the evidence is that the book of James is wildly influenced by the book of Job. Those who persevere under trial because having stood the test, that person, everyone say, will will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. I find that I long for the promises, but I often want to avoid the perseverance that leads me to the promises. And Job was someone who persevered. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, in the New King James says, you have need of endurance. It's the same word in Greek. You have need of perseverance so that after, watch, so that after you've done the will of God, Job, then you may inherit and receive the promises. You have need of endurance. So this is how it goes. God makes promises. The promises are coming over here. They're coming over here. In between God's promise and my reception of the promise is this pass that God makes. And in the midst of that pass, in the touchdown, where you receive that touchdown pass, because, and don't get me wrong, there are, there's evil things out there that will try to stop you from doing this. There are referees that will not call face mask penalties when someone is, is going. That does, that does happen. And Lord, make it right. Bring vindication is all we say because we believe in justice, right? But they're in between. Sometimes I want to catch touchdown passes in the end zone, but I don't want to run my route of perseverance to get to the end zone. You have need of endurance. You have need of perseverance so that after, after you've run your route, after you've run to the end, after you persevere, after you have endured, then you may receive the promise. This word persevere, it's, it's an interesting word, and it's, it's a Greek word. Put it up here. It's, it's, it's a compound word of two words, one that we use a lot, which is the word meno. We would say, we'd say meno, which would be like, this is where we get the word abide. Like in John 15, when it says, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. We talk a lot about abiding around here. Well, that's the word meno. The word persevere, though, is a compound word. It's, it's hupomeno. Hupo means to, to come up under or to be under something or be under the weight. So what persevering means, essentially, is to keep on remaining, to keep on abiding, even when the weight is heavy on your shoulders. It's it's this idea of, of literally remaining under, but not simply under resignation. There is this idea of, of a vibrant hope. Like, I know if I will get through this defender in front of me. I know if I will run my route. I know even if my side is hurting, if I will run to that end zone, there is a pass that's going to land in my hands, and there's a referee that's going to put his hands up and say, you have tied the game, and you're going to go for two-point conversion. And when the, That's what you know is going to happen if that... I'm still dealing with two days ago. Today, I want you to embrace the call to hupomeno. 
Here's, this, is, this is the whole sermon today. Because I've been asking, I've heard all these questions that people have been asking. Mike, is, hey, does God have it out for me? No. Is, is God actually more wicked than I thought he was? No. Is, is God trying to act like he's the good guy, but he kind of uses the devil like to do his dirty work? No. Here, here's what I want to make clear today. Here's where this sermon's going to go today. Three kind of thoughts in this one big idea, which is this. Number one, your pain is never pointless. I'm going to say it again. Your pain is never pointless. Number two, the purpose is your promotion. Job, God is setting you up. When you are in pain and you are enduring and you are going through a trial, I don't know how long it will last. What I do know is this. I don't know every detail, but I know that God is setting you up for promotion. Read the end of every one of God's stories. And then the final thought is that your call is to persevere. So let's kind of break this down. Number one, your pain is never pointless. Can you just say that with me? My pain is never pointless. Now, again, it's, it's not pain. It's pointless pain. Why is my child sick? Why is my marriage in trouble? Why have things never gotten better? Why have the last five jobs not worked out? Why? This seems so pointless, but your pain is never pointless. Now, I want to get clear. There are perplexing questions. One of them was aroused in the beginning of the book, Job chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Verse 8, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on the earth. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Now, I've said this a couple times. I'm going to say it again to make the point clear. This has been the most troubling verse for me in the book of Job throughout most of my Christian life because it seems so unlike God to use me as a wager in a bet against the devil where God's trying to play some games like some old school guys getting together to to get out some chickens to do some some chicken fighting to watch the chickens fight with each other and it just seems cruel when when people are making bets on chickens destroying one another and it seems like God is cruel to be saying Satan uh, yeah have you kind of like God's bored so he brings out of the air, he says, here's Job. And yet what we know from, of course, this passage, when we read the actual passage, because Job's perspective in his suffering is simply that he's suffering. Well, how do we know what we're about to read? Well, apparently, by the time we get to Job 42, God is going to reveal to Job what was happening the whole time. Part of which was happening was Satan was going to and fro throughout the earth. We know from 1 Peter chapter 5, when he's doing that, Satan is seeking people to devour. Satan's the one that's initiating this. This is not God. Satan is the one that's coming to God, having scoped out the situation. And then God says, have you considered my servant Job? The word considered is a, is a Hebrew word, which means to set your mind or to set your heart. You have set your mind on Job, haven't you? To which he's like, yeah, exactly right I have. Is, does he not serve you? Isn't he not serving you only because his life is good? In other words, the situation is showing very cl- plainly and clearly this is not God bored. This is Satan doing what Satan does. Satan is called, it's the Satan in Hebrew, which means the adversary. He is the accuser. He is coming to accuse Job before God, and he accuses God before us, and he comes to bring that. Now, the reason I'm letting you know this is there are questions and I don't have all the answers. For example, this week someone asked me, why did God make Satan in the first place? I don't fully know. Why didn't God just wipe him out 
thousands of years ago. I don't fully know. But I do want to make something really clear, which is this. In the first week of this whole sermon series, when there are things that you do not understand, you need to interpret them with the things that you do understand. Let me say this another way today. When there are parts of the Old Testament that are unclear, you use the New Testament light to shine light and bring clarity to Old Testament confusion. A lot of us have used the oldest, most ancient book of the Bible, the book of Job, the book that is replete with the least amount of revelation of almost any book in all of the Bible. It's the most ancient book, the first book of the Bible that was written. And a lot of us are using the oldest book to shed darkness on New Testament light when we find things like where God says he loves us, when we find out that God is good, when we find out the goodness that we're like, yeah, but what about the book of Job? Friends, you're missing this. Jesus does not come to get interpreted from Job. Jesus comes to let you interpret the book of Job correctly. This is so important that you use Scripture to interpret Scripture. We're going to see when we're reading this book of Job that Job is being hounded by the hand of God, the hand of Satan, and the hand of people. And listen, it is often difficult to distinguish the difference between was that God was that the devil? Was that just people? Was that the pizza I ate last night? Is that just me getting old? Is this an attack of the enemy? Do I pray for healing from this sickness? Do I just acquiesce to this sickness? Do I just give in to this problem? Do I, do I push against it? Do I, it's, it's very difficult to know. See, what we have heard, what I've heard many times is this. Yeah, Job's being attacked here by Satan, but God could have stopped it. Who's ever thought that in your mind? When you've gone through trials. I'm not saying it was God, but God could have stopped that accident. God could have stopped that abuse. God could have stopped that illness. God could have stopped that tsunami. God could have stopped that tragedy. And what troubles my soul when I look at these things is I begin to question the goodness of God. But Job teaches us something, which is Job, in the middle of your suffering, please hear, Job, please hear me. When you're suffering, there are things that you don't see. There are things that you don't hear. There are things that you don't understand. And one day you will, but right now your, your knowledge is limited. For Job, that meant he thought the only conclusion he had was, God, you must be doing this to me. His speeches go like this. God, if it's not you, then who the heck is it? Now, what we know from reading the book of Job and what Job is going to find out by the end is he actually had an adversary that he didn't know about, which was the devil. What I need some of you to know is you've got more revelation than Job had, but I need some of you to know this. There are things right now that you do not understand that in 1,000 years, you will. Just like Job was limited in his revelation that one day it was revealed, saints of God, beloved of God, let me give you some good news. There are things right now that with our limited knowledge and revelation and understanding and brains and humanity that feel tormenting and they make no sense, I'm making you a promise. One day you are going to see the goodness of God and you are going to feel the goodness of God and you're going to look back and say, God, if I knew what you knew, I would have done exactly what you did. Now, we do have limited revelation, but, but I do want to shine New Testament light on Old Testament questions because 
I've, I, and listen, guys, I've gone, I have overdosed on all the sovereignty preachers, all the, the preachers that, that emphasize you, you mu- the point of the book of Job, they, I've heard many people say, is, is to understand that God is sovereign and you've got no right to, to question God on whatever it is, which interesting, and I, I get that sentiment because he is the Lord. What I find beautiful is that God seems to relish the fact, even in Job's questions, he brings his questions to God. By the way, God can handle your questions, your anger. He's got broad shoulders. We already read 38, 39, 40, and 41. He knows how to put you in your place. He knows how to do that. But I do want to shine some light here because here's one of the lines of thought I've heard, which was this. If God has allowed it, God has ordained it. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to wrestle with that for just a moment because the idea has been that if God allows something, he, if God allows abuse, then God has ordained abuse. And I just need every one of you in here to hear me say this, especially anyone that's been abused. The righteous, just, godly, loving Father, which art in heaven, does not ordain people to be abused. He does not. He is good. His nature is good. When Matt talked about you've got to know what his word is, his nature is good. But let me shed some New Testament light as an example. So I hear people say, well, if God allowed it, God ordained it. But that's not how the Bible says. For example, in 1 Corinthians 14.33, the Bible says God is not the author of confusion. So, so one of you right now might be confused in your life. You're like, oh, well, I'm confused. Well, I guess God allowed my confusion, so God must be the author of my confusion. And yet the Bible says, although God might have allowed moments of confusion in your life, do not call God the author of confusion. God is not the author of confusion. Your enemy is the author of confusion. Can I get an amen on that? I'll give you another example. In Luke chapter 13, verse 16, there was a woman that was bound She was bound by the devil. Luke 13, 16, it says, Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? To which someone might say, well, if she's bound, God allowed her to be bound. God God allowed that. So if God allowed it, God ordained it. To the contrary, so someone might say, well, therefore, God is the author of her bondage. Friends, watch. God was not the author of her bondage. Who was? Satan, the enemy, the adversary, Jesus came on a Sabbath day and set her free. I need some of you to know there are some of us that when you assume God is the author of your confusion, of course you don't resist it or you get double-minded about dealing with it. When you assume God is the author of your bondage because he allowed it, Jesus says there are ultimate, there's multiple sources, not just God's. The ultimate power is God. How about fear? 2 Timothy 1.7, the Bible says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And someone in here might really struggle with fear or anxiety or whatever it is. And you might say, well, God's allowed it, therefore God ordained it. To the contrary, God doesn't give us spirits of fear. Someone might say, well, God ordained me to have a spirit of fear. No, 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 you may have a spirit of fear. Today I want to give you good news. On this Sunday and in the month of November, Jesus sets you free from fear in Jesus' name. Let me just say it again. Some of you that are tormented with fear right now, you're like, well, God just made me like this. Watch. There is an adversary. There is an enemy. And Jesus sets you free. God is not the author of confusion. God is not the author of bondage. God is not the author of fear. And then how about this? How about James? Just to to bring James back up again. In James chapter 1, James says, when, when he's describing temptation, he says in verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. 
To which someone might say, well, yeah, but God allowed me to be tempted. True enough. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. But you need to know, God is not the author of confusion. God is not the author of bondage. God is not the author of sickness. God is not the author of fear. God is not the author of temptation. And what do you do then? This is why it would say in James, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Don't use the book of Job as an excuse when Job had no revelation of an adversary as an excuse to say, when you're going through something, because this is what I keep hearing people say. They'll come up to me and they'll say, when I ask them, hey, uh, how are you doing? They're like, well, I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm just a Job. I'm just a Job. I'm like, you're just a Job? What does that mean? Well, it means I just got to accept what's given to me. Job didn't know that if you belong to Jesus Christ, you've got authority in the name of Jesus. Job didn't know that if you belong to God, you've got promises of God. Job didn't know that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Job didn't know that one day the Messiah was going to come, pay the penalty for all of our sins, die on a cross, go into the ground, rise up again. Job didn't know that there was authority that we have as the sons and daughters of the Most High God, that one day we'd be seated with Jesus Christ in heavenly places, that when the devil now comes up and wants to go and say, have you considered my servant? Now we are actually literally seated with Jesus right then. When the adversary now comes to make his accusations and he wants to accuse us, he knows in the spirit realm we're seated right there with God. I'm not trying to exaggerate something. I'm not trying to be like, Mr. Nothing's going to ever go wrong. Oh, things will go wrong, which is why today I'm telling you, persevere. Do not give up, Job. See, your pain is never pointless. Amen. (laughs) Number two, the purpose of your pain is your promotion. The purpose is promotion. Okay, let's, let's read the rest of the story here because this is where it gets good. After the Lord said these things, he said to Job, said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. It's such a beautiful thing because for 35 chapters, Job is like, I'm speaking the truth. And they're like, no, you're not. He's like, I am. Like, we don't. There's three of us. None of us believe you. Have you ever just wanted someone to believe you? You know, some of us are so intent on people on earth believing us. Do you understand that the day of judgment, God is going to vindicate? <laughs> this is beautiful. <laughs> he says, God shows up. And Eliphaz said, God, I want to hear your voice. God's like, all right, here I am. I'm angry. You've lied about my servant Job. <laughs> so now take seven bulls, seven rams, go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you. This is a guilt offering. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer, and I will not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth to me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. I, I, I'm going to jump, I'm going to break this down here in a second, but I, I, do, I do just want you to see all of his brothers and sisters in verse 11, everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over the trouble the Lord had brought on him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. I want you to see that there are things that I do not understand about Job's pain. I do know this. If you belong to Jesus, 
Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, endurance, perseverance, steadfastness. But let steadfastness run its route. Have its perfect work. Get you to the end zone so that when you get there in the past lands in your hands, you can receive the promise. Job, you have need of endurance. Do not give up because God has planned for you promotion. So I keep meeting these people. I, I saw someone recently in, in public, and I started to talk to them about Jesus, and they turned out to be a believer. I was like, oh, that's cool. But they had this, this illness, and I said, hey, would you let me pray for you? I'm not the best prayer person, but, I, you know, I, I'd love to pray for you. And they're like, no, 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 you don't need to do that. I said, why? I'm just a Job. I'm like, uh, wait, what does that mean? They're like, well, no, no, you know Job, like he, he, he just, he had to suffer. I'm like, well, we will all suffer, and I'm completely down with suffering. Like, you know, you go work in the yard, you get tired, there's a suffering. You know, you, 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 you have children, you love them, you're gonna, you lo- you're gonna suffer when you, when you love somebody. You know, you're gonna suffer when you get married. You get in, yeah, there's, there's good suffering. There's also suffering that's not necessary. And we also have a God that looks at people that have been afflicted for 18 years, bound up with conditions. And he says, you know what? The devil's the one that did that. I want to set them free. I came to set the captives free. Jesus said, and the spirit of God is on me to announce good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, the the, the healing of the broken hearts. So I do believe in suffering. I also believe that Jesus knows how to do something about suffering. No, 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 I'm just a Job. I'm like, wait, wait. So have you ever read the Bible? Oh, yeah, no, I've read the Bible. I'm like, wait, have you read what the Bible says about Job? Well, well, what does it say? Well, it says in Job 5.11, let's say it again one more time, you have heard of Job's perseverance and you've seen what the Lord finally brought about. In my Spanish Bible, it says, al fin, lo que hizo el Señor. In the end, que hizo Dios al fin? Like, what did God do in the end? And have seen what the Lord finally brought about in the end. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Well, Micah, I, I think you're reading too much into this. Am I? That's, okay, let's go to verse 13. Same section of the book of James. Is anyone among you in trouble or suffering? The Bible says, let them pray. Well, that, that sounds just like Job. Job was suffering. Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Well, that's what happens at the end here. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call for the, in other words, your prayers didn't work. That still didn't work. Okay, you're sick. Call for the elders of the church. Let the elders come and pray over him. Anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, like Job's friends, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, like Job's friends had to do to Job, and pray for one another that you may be healed, just like Job is going to get healed while he prays for his friends. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This whole section of James is like an example of Job's life. And yet when I hear people, when I meet this person in public and say to them, can I pray for you? They say, oh no, I'm just a Job. Well, can I pray for you? No. Are you suffering? Should I pray for you? No. Could you come before the elders of our church? No. Could, I, could we go ahead and do some fervent effective prayer? No, I'm just a Job. No, you're not just a Job because what Job did, he did James chapter five. 
What I'm saying to you is this, if you have felt like a Job, number one, that is great news because that means God's got serious promotion in mind for you. Job did go through suffering. I cannot explain all of it. There are absolutely losses that are brutal. I get all of that. What I'm telling you is, have you read the book of Job to the end? Because the end of all the stories of God's people is that in the end, you win. And by the way, not just in, it's, it's not just in heaven. I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'm not saying you get everything you want in the land of the living. I'm saying the book of Job is not evidence that your life is going to stinketh until you get to heaven. The book of Job is a book that James seems to be illustrate. Do we not count them as blessed? Those who run their routes all the way to the end zone. But I'm watching many Christians that the pandemic hit and they have a 30-yard route to run and they get 15 yards in and they're like, well, I'm done. They get in marriages and they've got 20 more yards and they're like, I'm done. And I get it, friends. And I don't want to be harsh. When we're suffering, we're so prone to quit. But I'm saying, Job, do not give up. There is stuff you don't know. Like what? We've got New Testament revelation that not only are there demons, there are also angels. Jesus was in a garden of Gethsemane and angels ministered to him. Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil and angels came and ministered. Oh God, open our eyes that we can see that if we would persevere, you will give us every good and perfect gift that we need to walk out while we've got to walk with you. See, your pain is never pointless, I promise you. Number two, the purpose is your promotion. But number three, your call is to persevere. Your call is to persevere, so keep holding on. It's amazing that God says to these, these friends of his, you guys have not spoken what is right to me like Job has. I love this because Job says a lot of things that are wrong. Job gets, has some horrible days, and yet when God speaks of Job, he says, Job is right with me. Job cursed the day he was born. Job accused God of being unjust. And yet here's the deal. When Job complained, he was always complaining to get to God. When Job was talking to his friends, they were always the side issue. His issue was always God. He always wanted God. In church, God wants you. And he can handle your your complaints and irritation and temptation to give in, and he can, he can, but he wants you to bring it to him. He wants you to bring your stuff to him. You know, we, we've got the, it's the most gossipy culture there's ever been. God can handle your gossip about him if you'll bring your gossip to him. It's kind of like people, you know, it's like we, we, we'll go complain about people to other people. Jesus said, you got a problem with someone, go to the person. You got a problem with God, let me say it, go to God, because you're going to like what you find. Because he is good and his mercy endures forever. He is lowly and gentle. And he's not gonna, he's not gonna put you to shame. Your call is to persevere. Job has these horrible days, and yet he was always trying to get to God. He never stopped pursuing God. 
He, he, I, I, know, I know we talk about abiding, but uh, abiding is the meno. Persevere is hupomeno. It's, it's, it's hupo. It's when the pressure's on, keep abiding. Keep abiding. Keep abiding. Keep on. Even when the pressure's there, church, let's become the most persevering people anyone at our job has ever seen. Let's become the most, per- I mean, I get it. Some of you just went through Thanksgiving. You're like, I am done with my family. And Christmas is still coming. I, I, I want us to become the most persevering people anyone has ever seen. I was reading the story this week of John Holland. I'm not sure if you've ever heard the story of John Holland. On the Mayflower, when the Mayflower came over, there was an indentured servant on the Mayflower that came from Britain to the, to the New World, 16-whatever it was, when the Mayflower came over. Someone find out, so next service I'll sound more educated. But whenever the Mayflower came, it was before the 1900s, all right? Whenever that was... 1600s. Indentured servant named, named John Holland that was on this boat. John Holland, um, it, conditions were terrible. You know, it took forever to get over here. The conditions are terrible. There's seasickness. People got sick. They got ill. At one point, he's, they, they, it was unsanitary. He was an indentured servant underneath the deck, whatever. At one point, he goes up on the deck just for some relief or whatever. The weather gets terrible. He gets knocked off the Mayflower and falls into the water. Tragic, bummer, falls into the water miraculously, there's some rope. He just grabs a hold of a rope, but the things are going crazy. He grabs hold of this rope. He starts holding on to this rope, and eventually, at, he's trying to make noise or whatever. You can imagine that it's all kinds, of, all kinds of noise, all kinds of weather, all kinds of storms. He's hanging on to this rope, and they finally find out. Sometimes he would go as many as like 10 feet under the water, hanging on to this rope, and it's going on for quite some time. I mean, he's in pain. He's scared, all this. He hangs on. But miraculously, they end up finding a way that like, hey, just hang on. And he holds, and he holds, and he holds, and he holds until they finally pull that man back up. And they're like, how did you do it? Like, how did you hold on? In church, there are some of you right now that are, you're like, I, I just can't hold on. I'm saying, no, keep holding on. Now, the interesting thing about this man, John Holland, was he ends up getting the, to the United States, ends up coming to what will become the United States. He ends up living. He gets married. He was a teenager when this happened, by the way. He was a teenager when he falls overboard. He ends up getting married. He has 10 children. Out of his 10 children, they say there have been tens or hundreds of thousands of Americans that have been born, including... The Baldwin brothers, the actors, the Baldwins, and the Bush presidents came from John Howland. Mike, what are you trying to say? Keep holding on. Keep coming back to God's word. Keep showing up at your microchurch. Keep speaking the promises of God. Keep laying your hands on your kids and blessing them, even when their heads are getting antsy. Keep believing Jesus is true. Keep being faithful with your finances. Keep holding on. Are there mysteries? Yes. Can everything be explained? No. But I can tell you this, that if you will persevere, you will inherit promises. You will not if you don't persevere. Hold on, saints. Keep holding on. I read this week of a woman in 
It was September the 2nd, 2013. There was a 64-year-old woman did what no one has ever done. Anybody know what it was? 64-year-old woman in 2013, September 2nd, 2013, she did something that she tried many years ago. In the 1970s, she attempted for the first time, didn't work. In fact, she attempted this four times, never did it. When she didn't do it when she was in her youth, she did it in her 64th year. She swam from Havana, from Cuba to the Keys of Florida. Took her 53 hours. How many of you could not do that? How many of you are younger than 64 and you still couldn't do it? I'm like, 50? She tried it once. She got bit up or she got stung by jellyfish all over, you know? These are shark-infested, jellyfish-ridden waters. She had tried this once, didn't work, second, didn't work, third, didn't work, fourth. On her fifth try, she swims for 53 hours. That is what's called perseverance. I'm not saying you're always going to have what happened to you the way you want it to happen to you. But I want you to persevere. The book of Job shows you there are some very terrible chapters in any godly person's life. We need to relearn Psalm 34, which says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But we need to read that verse till the end of the verse. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, comma, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Can we just read it to the end? When I keep hearing people say, I'm just a Job. Wait, wait, you're like Job? You're, you're like Psalm 34, 19, the first half. Many of the afflictions of the righteous. Would you just finish the verse? The gospel itself is Jesus died on a cross. But please don't stop there, my friends. Because we have a power because of what happened after Jesus died on the cross. Because on the third day, death could not contain him. The grave could not hold him. And he rose from the dead and he told death, hell, and the grave, give me the keys. And he took the keys. He goes into the ground empty-handed. He comes out with a, a handful of keys and he comes to us in Revelation chapter 1 and says, I give you the keys of the kingdom now. Listen, friends, I get it. The book of Job is true. I love this book. But you and me have what Job didn't have. We've got the book of Job. And you and me have what Job didn't have. We've got the book of Revelation. And you and me have what Job didn't have. A seat in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus because of the finished work of Jesus' blood being shed on Calvary. That you and I have what he would have only dreamt of knowing. And there are things that we do not understand. But lay hold of the things that you do understand. Run your route. Finish your race. Do not give up. The pass is going to drop. Touchdown's going to be scored. What, what, the, the Death Star is going to blow up. <laughs> Luke, keep, keep flying. Use the Holy Spirit, Luke. <laughs> and this is where it ends. The Lord blessed the latter days better than the first. <laughs> he, look at this. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of ox, and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons, three daughters. The first daughter he named was Jemima. The second was Keziah. The third was Karen 
Hapuch. Nowhere in all the land were found women as beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father granted them an inheritance with their brothers. I don't even have time to get into this, but friends, it's so strange. There's not like a work in antiquity that you find like this. Wait, he's got seven sons, and the sons are not named, but the daughters are? What is going on? Job seems to be elevating the place of these women and the role that they end up playing, that somehow even the book of Job is a little bit of an antecedent, even to what we read in Joel when it says, in the last day, says the Lord, I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. There seems to be this, this statement that's being made that these women become something great, that in the, the first batch, it did, in, in the first version of Job's life, in the old covenant of Job's life, there were things that were not the case that became the case in the new. Friends, can we just say, Jesus, do everything you want to do in light of what you've already done. And after this, Job lived 140 years, saw his children and their children, the fourth generation. And so Job died, an old man full of years. That's the book of Job. There are mysteries that we will not understand on this side of heaven. I am not denying that. There are things going on in the spirit, though, that you do not yet perceive, and one day you will. If you are walking with God and something horrible happens to you, which seems to have no cause, listen carefully. God is very likely setting you up for a promotion in his kingdom that you do not yet fully understand. Because God loves to redeem impossible situations. And God loves to redeem impossible family scenarios. And God loves to heal bodies that have been bound up by the devil for 18 years. And God loves to take fear that's been in your life for 37 years out of your brain. And God loves to take sciatic nerve pain and then one day, boom, it's just gone. And God loves to take headaches that will not be gone. And all of a sudden, in the name of Jesus, headaches be gone. And God loves to take marriages where you're like, this thing can never work. And something inside of you flips. And you're like, wait, this can work with Jesus. And God loves to take parents that are crippled with fear because their prodigal children seem to have gone too far to remind them no one's ever gone too far for me because I am the Lord. Is there anything I cannot do? Have you measured the, the seas? Have you put the stars in their place? Do you not know that I am the Lord who does all of this? See, see, in the Old Testament, there were Israelites, and they were sick, and they were afflicted, and there was this disease that was on them. And then God said to Moses, I want you to make this brazen serpent. And he, he got them to craft this bronze serpent and puts it up on a pole that looked like a cross, to be honest. And this is what happened. As long as the people kept their mind down on the ground where everybody was dying, they just kept perishing. But if they would lift their vision, he says, I want you to lift the bronze serpent higher and I will draw men to it. And whoever looks at the bronze serpent will be healed. He says, whoever looks at that thing, don't, I, I know people, don't look at the people dying. Don't look at the people that are turning away from God. Don't look at all the people saying, I can't take it anymore. Stop looking at the ground. Get your eyes off the ground. Get your eyes on that cross. Get your eyes on that bronze serpent because whoever got their eyes there, one day Peter would walk on water and when he's looking at Jesus, he keeps on walking. He looks at the ground. He looks at the 
the wind. He looks at the waves. He begins to sink. Jesus says, Peter, eyes on me. And listen, friends, I get it. There are so many things we don't understand. The God of the Old Testament seems cruel. The God of Job seems cruel, which is why Jesus comes in John. And he says, Thomas, haven't you seen me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When there are things that you do not understand in your life, in the injustice of this world, in the cruelty of this universe, Jesus says, put the picture back up, eyes on me. If you will lift me high, I will draw all men to myself because I am good and my mercy endures forever. And when there are things you do not understand, get your mind off and get your eyes off, get your focus, 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 eyes on Jesus, eyes on Jesus, eyes on Jesus, eyes on Jesus. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. When you've seen me, you've seen the Almighty. When you've, yeah, but God seemed kind of angry in, in Job 38, 39, 40, and 41. God told Job exactly what Job needed to hear to bring him back to himself. And Job submits and surrenders fully. But you and I, and I have a task, which is to lift Jesus higher. Job was the most innocent sufferer on planet Earth, but he was not utterly innocent. But there is an ultimate Job who was. There is one who suffered innocently, completely. And it was Jesus, who goes up on a cross, who becomes the ultimate Job, who becomes the ultimate brazen serpent, who becomes the ultimate healing device. And that whoever looks to him and trusts in him and believes in him and keeps their eyes on him and keeps their focus on him and keeps on abiding under the weight with him will not perish but have everlasting life. Church, don't give up. He who endures till the end will be saved. She who perseveres till the end will be saved. You who persevere to the end will be saved. There is coming a day. Yes, there's a heaven, but in the meantime, there are promises of God and all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Eyes on Jesus, church. Eyes on Jesus. The greatest Job there ever was. The one that, by the way, some of you today, you need to be like Job. There are some of you that have been afflicted, and, and there's people, I just feel like i got to pause and say this. It's not in my notes. I, it's interesting. Job does not get healed until he extends forgiveness to his friends. Interesting little detail. Did you catch that? His friends have to come and make a Job. We were wrong. They come make a guilt offering. Job prays for them, and after he prays for his friends, after he forgives his friends, he gets healed. I don't know who needs to hear this, but someone needs to forgive someone and you'll be healed. Someone's affliction is going to get released when you follow God's way.